Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson explores Advent in John. And now, here's Phil. Bibles, please, and keep it open to the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll start right at the beginning of the book. And uh, if you want to turn up any of the verses uh, as we move through the uh, through the book, uh, feel free to do that. We are living in a world in which people look at life through a variety of very different lenses. Some of these include the lens of the atheist or the secularist or the humanist or the conspiracy theorist and oh so many worldviews that do not start at the same point as we are starting with this morning. For today and the next three Sundays, we are going to be looking at the four stories through the lens of each of the gospel writers of that wondrous event of our Lord's coming to the world he created. Jesus' future return to the world again will also be covered as his second advent, and we'll leave it to the other speakers to uh, deal with that as well. This morning we are looking at the advent of our Lord from the Gospel of John. And for the next three Sundays uh, in the order of Matthew, Mark and Luke. It may come to you as a surprise that the Gospel of John is full of the advent of Jesus story from beginning to end. And not at all limited to the few verses of the opening chapter. We actually have a guest this morning who's going to guide us through this narrative throughout the book. Our honored guest, and he's coming in now is none other than the writer of the fourth gospel. He will give a summary of how he wove the nativity story throughout his book. His lens provides many snapshots of his travels with Jesus, and his focus you will find is on Jesus and very little of himself. And when he and I were discussing his summary of Jesus' Advent story to be presented this morning, one thing he told me he would do was to give a repeating challenge question for all who would listen. And that question is, what if all Jesus said about his, uh, uh, what, what if Jesus, all Jesus said was true about his coming? Watch for that question as he speaks to us now. I am John the Apostle. Nearing the end of writing a gospel, I would like to share with you my understanding of who Jesus was, why he came to the earth, and my personal experiences with him that focus on his coming to the earth throughout the time I walked, I talked, and I traveled with him. It is my earnest plea that you too might know him and believe in him as I have. I am sitting here in Ephesus where Mary, the mother of Jesus, lives under my care. We are aware of the other three Gospels that have been written, including the details of the birth uh, and life of Jesus. I know it's confusing for you to know who I am, as John was such a common name. I am not John the Baptist, who was the forerunner sent by God to preach the coming of the kingdom of God. Nor am I John, the father of Andrew and Simon Peter, two of the disciples uh, who were called to follow Jesus as well. Nor am I John Mark. John was the Hebrew name of Mark, and he is designated by this name uh, throughout the book of Acts. Nor my John, the judge who, along with Alexander and others, sat in judgment on the apostles uh, Peter and 
me, uh, John. I am John the Apostle, brother of James the Greater. I am one of the younger sons of Zebedee and Salome, the mother, my mother, and was born at Bethsaida. Also from her town were Philip, Andrew, and Peter. Salome's sister was Mary, the mother of Jesus, making me his first cousin. My father was well off, and so I was able to get the standard level of education, but he did encourage us into his business to become fishermen. I loved the sea, and like most fishermen, I like to tell stories, some of them true, and also to listen to the stories. One day I was listening to a fellow by the same name as me, but they also called him the Baptist. God knows our fishing village needed his message of repentance. I listened to him many times because, unlike many of the storytellers, he was not after money or his own fame, but he spoke of someone he called the Lamb of God. It was through the Baptist that I met the one he was preaching about, Jesus, and at first followed him a little with Andrew to listen to what he had to say. Some of us spent a lot of time talking about what we heard from the Lamb, heard from the Baptist about the Lamb of God. He was looking for people to follow him. Uh, Jesus was looking for people to follow him full time, but we had our livelihood to look after. However, one day, James and I and our father Zebedee were in our boat near shore ship preparing our nets for fishing. It's almost unexplainable. It was, as if, it was as if it was God himself speaking to us when Jesus asked us to join him. Immediately, James and I left our dad and followed Jesus. I pray as you read my gospel that you too will become a better disciple of my beloved Lord. In it, several times I refer to myself as the disciple that Jesus loved, and he loved us all, to be sure. Sometimes I refer to that disciple and the other disciple, and, uh, and at other times uh, uh, other vague references as well. That was not to set me above any of the others or present to you a false humility. But I was doing that to allow you to focus on Jesus himself through my reporting of what I personally heard from him and others around him. My purpose is to encourage you to bring yourself so close to him that you too will understand that he wants us all to be so loved by the Lord as I was. I know Matthew, Mark and Luke have told you about the prophecies from the scriptures speaking about the miraculous conception and the subsequent birth of Jesus who was to come. Intertwined in my writings is an elaboration of who Jesus was and is and always will be the eternal Son of God. In his own words, Jesus taught us about the, the motivation and purpose of his coming to earth, what he brought for us, for all of us in his creation, and how much he wants a real relationship with everyone who trusts in him. I will trace these themes of his coming throughout the book and show the intertwining with his coming uh, as a babe in Bethlehem and much more. The main thing I want to challenge you this morning is with this question. What if all Jesus said were really true? Uh, Please keep that in your mind as you listen to the nativity story as as I have heard it from the Lord himself. And uh, keep that in your heart and feel challenged by it. I introduced my book with the uh, beginning that that went way back before God's entry into the world as Jesus. 
At the starting point of creation, the word, the revealer of God, was also God. He was God, the creator of everything that was made. Please note my summary of the Old Testament and during my lifetime so far in two sentences. In the word was life. That life was the light of men. And he continues to shine now in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And now comes the one sentence summary of the time period from the nativity to the beginning of my gospel. The true light in verse nine, the true light that lives, gives light to every man was coming into the world. The word of God, the creator of the world, the one who is life, the one who is the only truth, the one who provides that life and light is the one my gospel is about. Jesus came to bring truth and he came to bring light to every human being. The sad part is that God saw it as necessary to come in order to rescue those who were living in the darkness of sin and evil. The other writers of the Nativity said it so well. He shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In my summary of my book at the outset, I wrote a brief history of God seeking his people to know him from the beginning of time through the Old Testament period and what I personally saw while Jesus was on earth. Please read the nativity story with me, if you would. First, starting at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, you're going to read with me? And the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Throughout my book, one of the threads that I repeat over and over again is the incarnation, the advent, the coming of the Son of God into the world. These words are woven into the events and stories to bring you my testimony of what I saw and heard and which those around me confirmed. Most importantly, what Jesus said about his coming to the world in a variety of contexts made it so clear to so many. His apparent parents were Mary and Joseph, people around Galilee. But when he left the carpentry business to enter his public ministry, he was not only a son born into a normal family. He wanted us all to know that he existed before that birth. I worded his origins in my, in my summary of what I heard from him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I, caref I carefully wrote down on my parchments each time he expressed the fact that he was born into the life of a baby, but was much more. He often used the expression coming into the world. You are not to read this as a simple way of saying, I was born into the world in Bethlehem by my mother Mary. You are to read it as he intended it as we go through it. 
Later, we will look at how other words, word, he, words he used to show and teach us the many things that was rooted in his incarnation are found in words like his coming. He came. He was sent by the Father. He was the Son of God in love. I gave. I will give. I will. I shall. And more words I will uh, help you to find in, the, in, the, in my gospel as we move through it. And by way of summary, I'll start with the phrase, his coming into the world. To Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he said this from chapter 3 and verse 19. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. To some of the Pharisees, after Jesus' healing of a man born blind, which you just sang about, as they continued to reject the truth of what had just happened, And they threw the healed man out of the synagogue, Jesus said, so that they would all hear. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. At another time, the 12 of us were afraid to go back to the Jerusalem area. And when Jesus said our friend Lazarus was sick and he said he was going to wake him up, we went along thinking we were going to die for sure because of the persecution of Jesus. At Bethany, we were expecting some kind of healing act again, but we had no idea what was going to happen. He spoke to Mary, Lazarus' sister, and wanted her to reveal where her heart was uh, was at with him. She declared her understanding in her baby's steps of faith when she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. As he told her that he was the resurrection and the life, and those who believe will never die, The family, ourselves, and the Jews following along, we wanted to see what would happen. And then we all heard his prayer in the front of Lazarus' tomb to his own father. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say and how to say it. When Jesus gathered us in the upper room at a later time, just before he went to the cross, he was intensely teaching us and preparing us for what was to come. He assured us by reminding us of his purpose in coming and also his purpose in returning to the Father when it was all done. Chapter 16 and verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. I also love these words that he prayed in chapter 17, and we'll refer to that several times. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and listen, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent into the world. In the next days before Calvary, Jesus was before Pilate, and all of us heard what was said uh, uh, from inside the, the palace. In answering Pilate, he said this, you were, you were a king, uh, said Pilate, sorry, you were a king, then said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Let me ask each of you, what if it were true that Jesus was not just a Bethlehem boy 
or a Nazareth carpenter or a popular Jewish rabbi, but he came to the earth sent from God, his father. Do you truly believe that as he became as the son of God to carry out his father's work to bring all the world eternal life in yours and yours and my souls? He told the story of the nature and purpose of his coming, that he would not only hear that we would not only hear who he claimed to be, but how he wants us to respond to himself, the son of God. There are multiple story threads, and I'm going to pick out three of them to illustrate uh, what I want you to see in my book that Jesus told in words and actions to help us believe in him. The first is the salvation story. When we were out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, we would often discuss what the promised one in the scrolls would look like. God knew we needed someone who could represent us in Judea with some power and authority over the conquerors that we were before. We also knew that there was a lot of evil around us. And we also knew that we didn't always live up to what the law and the rules demanded of us. If only the promised one would come and rescue and deliver I've told you already what Jesus said about coming into the world. He told us and everyone who would listen that he was the one who was sent from his father. After Jesus' meeting with Nicodemus, we heard John the Baptist in debate with some around him in Enon near Salem where there is lots of water. The Baptist in his baptisms of repentance always stated that they were on behalf of the Lamb of God who was to come. When he was being asked about the one who was across the river from him baptizing, The Baptist clarified, he is the one who came from above and elaborating said, for the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. Later in Jerusalem, Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. The Jews were astonished at his level of understanding and learning and asked him where he got it from. Uh, Jesus told them, cried out really so that all would hear, yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. I am going to the one who sent me. Setting the scene for the whole nation, we found Jesus rooting his authority and representing to all who would listen that he was not just a carpenter from Galilee, but he came in his birth as the son of God, sent with all of the authority of his father to speak and to teach, and to do. When Jesus was speaking at the temple, he also spoke of his right to judge. He was in the con- it was in the context that I'm referring to here, uh, before the, to, for him, he, the authority by which he was judging the leaders of the Jews. And that turned into an unforgettable exchange in chapter 8. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. In that, cha- in, those, in that chapter, he made some clear and epic claims, and I'll leave it to you to look through them later to notice how each of them throughout the debate are again rooted in the story of his incarnation. All of his authority to judge would not have been possible if he was not sent from his father and would not have been with his authority to read people's hearts and to see within their lives what was really uh, going on with them. He said, my authority is from my father who sent me to the world to judge, but also to offer repentance and salvation, but and not to condemn. It was so grievous to us who had already believed in him to see the spiritual leaders of Israel being judged by him because they rejected him gradually 
and with growing force. You can read these sent me, others sent me um, verses in chapter 8 to follow this point in more detail. You know the story well about the blind man. You sang about him earlier, as we mentioned, that that his healing created that confrontative scene. uh, After he could now see, he was thrown out when he testified before the leaders of Israel. He was thrown out of the synagogue for his testimony about Jesus to that leadership. To them, he said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Still following on that and only selecting us again, a small part of these exchanges with the Jews. Jesus again referenced who he really was. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Jesus said. And here's such a critical point for those who want to strip out the divinity from the Gospels of the Scriptures. Listen to what the Jews themselves thought when he when he heard what Jesus was claiming. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. And soon after, immediately before the glory and majestic display of God's power, everything in the resurrection of of Lazarus, Jesus prayed Power over everything in the resurrection of Lazarus. Sorry for that pause. Jesus prayed audibly before his father in our hearing and the curious Jews who were trailing him these words. His prayer. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And in these claims of being sent from the Father, there were two clear foundations that he was laying in his instruction of the people tied to his mission from whence he came. One foundation stone built on his being sent to the earth was the identification of sin, which he defined as rejecting God through unbelief in God's visitation to the earth in the person of his son. And secondly, the judgment of God when they reject him and the eternal significance of such a rejection. We heard and have all memorized the summary of the salvation story that Jesus gave to Nicodemus in chapter 3 and 16. For God, the world so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Uh, Further verses we could Read through and have that same theme, chapter 5 and verse 24, as an example. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death uh, to life. What if it were true that Jesus was sent by the Father to provide salvation? What if all could recognize that he came with the power and authority to judge sin and yours in my life? And not only judge it, but could see it all in order to judge. How would that change our behavior as we live and move with others when we know that he can read our minds and hearts and knows what's inside of us and falling short of him? But he came for the express purpose, sent from his father to become the Lamb of God, to deal with the sin of men and women who need desperately a salvation and a savior. There are two other things I want you to know about the salvation of God and uh, what we've been referring to. And these two things are this, that he loved 
every person he came in contact with, including us disciples. And he was not only love in his mind, he was loved. He was loving in all of his actions. And the second thing is that there is nothing that you or I can do to earn this salvation. It is by his gifts. In in my gospel, I use the word grace at the beginning of the gospel. And then throughout the whole book, I talk about the gifts of Jesus to those who are his and all that means for us. In John 17, in, in chapter 17 and 23, again, listening to the Lord's Prayer, he said this, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. All of us knew that he loved us unconditionally, and we were all just beginning to realize that the work he was sent from the Father to accomplish could not be done without a love beyond human measure. The second thing about his work, his gift. It is, uh, we, we know that he, the simple fact upon which all of his gifts are founded is that God is the giver of all the good that we could ever receive. It was ever clear in his teaching that we all need a Savior, and it was also clear in his teaching that salvation was received as a gift uh, from him. The nativity story that I am telling through the whole book is the giving of God through his son. He was the greatest gift that could ever be given. He invited all to receive uh, that gift. He said again to Nicodemus, yet to all, or at the beginning of the book, uh, to my book, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And John 3:16 again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son. One last verse that I need to point out to you to lead into the next part is chapter 6 and verse 51. I am the, he was talking about himself being the Lamb of God sent from his Father to heaven, from heaven. And he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This, is, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. When the Baptist was preparing for the public ministry of Jesus, he identified the one who was to come as the Lamb of God. We didn't know really what that meant initially, but Jesus continued to develop our understanding as we moved forward and followed him. He said this to Nicodemus, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe Uh, if I speak of heavenly things. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The Lamb of God was going to go on the cross of Calvary uh, for the penalty of our sin and there die for us in our place. And as a result of his death, the work of, as the Lamb of God, he was then able to uh, present to you all this free gift of salvation and uh, life with him for all eternity. What if this salvation story is true? All of the blessings of God flow to those who accept him, believe him, in him and trust in him uh, for, for now and for eternity. Uh, 
If it's true, there are those who reject him. And the consequences of rejecting him are too terrible to mention. An internal alienation uh, from the God who loved them and gave his life for them. The third uh, story about salvation, a uh, second story about salvation is the sustenance story. How God cares for us and sustains us, those that are his, by faith and have received his salvation. In the story of sustenance of the Son of God, uh, we don't have the time to go through all of the proofs and uh, verses that I talk about in my book about uh, what that was all about. I'm just going to choose one where he used in his teaching in, in uh, chapter 6 two metaphors of care in this life. One, he first starts off with two miracles. First was feeding of the crowd, and then there was this, the uh, stilling of the waters on the Sea of Galilee. In his teaching, Jesus again weaved, in, weaved into the sustenance story the story of his incarnation. And uh, listen to what he says in verse 32. I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who comes to me will never thirst again. We celebrated that. Those two elements that Jesus showed his power over and the meaning of what he had brought to us in his death on the cross, the, 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 uh, the, the blood and the bread, the liquid and the, and the food, both of them giving sustenance to those who feed on him metaphorically, but be in close relationship to him each and every day so that he can nourish and feed us spiritually as we submit to him. Uh, for all of the all the gifts he has for us. There's one last part of the story uh, just before we close is the security story you have the salvation, the sustenance and the security of that salvation and sustenance. And uh, notice what I I want to trace through the gospel very briefly for you. I suspect by now my fellow disciple and townsman Philip is getting impatient with the length of my summary. And maybe some in the audience will be as well. But just uh, very quickly, John 5 and 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. We read that earlier. Chapter uh, 6 and 38. For I have come down my, from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise every one of them in the last day. The hope of the Christian is the gift of eternal life. His presence here with us, but also that future hope, that future secure hope of what we, where we will go when we pass this life, one way or the other, uh, that we will be with him because he has promised that to be the case in the, again, turning to the prayer of Jesus in chapter 17, listen carefully to this. He said to his father, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I, I wondered when I, I was reading, hearing him say that, well, does that really describe my heart? We were, uh, the disciples were uh, of certainty of these things. 
That's what he prayed. But that in that prayer is the tremendous gift that he has given us that we are not righteous in our own selves. There's nothing we can do or, or uh, practice that will earn our position in him. He was praying for them, weak as they were. He was praying for us as challenged as we were with everything that he was taking us through. But what did Jesus say? They have the certainty of what is to come because of my giving them the gifts that I came to give with certainty. Wonderful. The secure hope is based on his promised return. Just one verse when Jesus was with Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. He told her to say this. I am returning to my father and your father. I'm returning to my father. Get it? Incarnation again. It's meaning he came from the father. He was here and he was returning to his father uh, and to my God and to your God and to go to the disciples and tell them as the father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus was so full of glory, truth and grace beyond measure. I'll ask the group to come up. Uh, Now I'm just about uh, I've told my story. He told his father he knew with certainty that he came from his father when I am his. He holds us close even when we don't live in the light of we know in light in the light of what we know we have received. As you work, as you work your way through the four Gospels, I, I will leave you with this challenge again. If it is true that all that Jesus said about his coming, how will then will you love him and live for him? until you enter the next phase of the eternal life that comes from believing in Jesus. I trust you will from this moment on live your life uh, through the lens of Jesus and how he wants us to live in a personal relationship with him each and every day and to share the meaning of his coming to all who will listen. May God bless to us this gospel. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder again in this world that you have made. You have also sent your Son. And we thank you that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have beheld his glory. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that many here have taken up that invitation and said, Lord, come into my heart. And we pray that if there's some amongst us, one or more, this day who have never invited you to be their Lord and Savior, this might be their happy day. For behold, the greatest gift is not that which was under the tree, but rather that which hung upon the tree and rose again the third day. We thank you again. Bless us as we separate. Give us a good day that we might rejoice in your salvation. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.